James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And it reads like this. It says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Then James asked this profound question, probably one of the scariest questions and most haunting questions that could probably be asked to us. What is your life? What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We were in this series. We actually studied the book of James uh, towards, uh, in the summertime. And this series came out of the moment that I found myself in, in studying this, this particular piece of, of Scripture. And it was kind of like an ADD moment where I was supposed to be studying James and all of a sudden blip kind of started to, to roll out. And this is where James asks and says, you are a mist, a blip. You are here for just a moment, a little time, and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, We will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. This morning as we begin our series blip, I want to speak to you from the subject coming to terms. Coming to terms. As we deal with the issue of our lives and coming to terms with the blip that it simply is. Will you just pray with me one more time this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's powerful. We thank you that you are doing a new thing in each of our lives. That in every moment you are doing a new thing. As we give our hearts and our minds and our hope to you. And so I pray this morning that as we, as we hear your word, as we gaze upon your grace, that we would experience your presence. And in your presence we know there is freedom. We know who the sun sets free is free indeed. So free us this morning. God, to see things the way that you see things, to feel things the way that you feel things, to understand and know things the way that you do, God. So that we can be more like you. So that we can have an effective blip so that we can have an effective time that you've given us. We love you. We worship you. Our hearts are softened. They are open and our ears are listening to you. Speak to us now in Jesus' mighty name. Come on. And everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. Um, I had to come to terms with some stuff recently. Um, how many of you have gone on the journey of coming to terms with things? Whatever that thing may be, but you like, there's that moment in life where you're like, okay, I'm coming to terms right now. Like, I'm, okay, I'm coming to terms with this. I had a moment uh, a couple weeks ago where I really had to come to terms with some things, and I caught it on video, actually. And uh, I want to show you what, what happened that caused me to come to terms. This is my seven-year-old son learning to ski. And like a gangster, he puts his hands up like this. Rise it to the top. And I watched my seven-year-old go up the hill on his own, to which he skied down on his own, to which he said to me, Dad, I want to go again by myself. And then he uttered these words, which then caused inner, like, chaos and, and, and just it's mental destruction. He says, Dad, I don't need you. And everything inside changed. I had to come to terms with some stuff in that moment. Now, he wasn't actually saying that he didn't need me because he needed a ride home, and I was (laughs) considering whether I was going to actually do that or not. (laughs) You don't need me? I'll show you. (laughs) Retribution on a seven-year-old. It's beautiful. Um, But in that moment, I realized some things, and I had to come to terms with some things. I'm, I'm getting older. And my kids are growing, and, and I'm balding, and all of these, these things that, I, that started to flash before, before my eyes. I had to come to terms, and it was in that moment, thinking about the series that we're getting ready to come into, and, and it being Christmas time, and looking towards the new year, I had to come to terms with this issue of life. 
And it's going, come on, have you ever thought this way? It's going by so fast. I mean, it's flying, it's flying by. And I'm watching my kids, I got a four-month-old, and I look at her now, and she's growing so fast. Every kid grows so fast. And as a parent, you're like, stop, right? And those of you who aren't parents yet, you'll get there one day, all right? Just trust me, it's fun. (laughs) But I had to come to terms with some stuff in that moment. And this is what James is dealing with. James is trying to help us see that at the end of the day, life is a blip on the radar. It's here one minute and gone the next. And I think for many of us, we struggle through life sometimes because we haven't figured out how to work with it and how to negotiate with it and how to, how to operate in it. And for many of us, we're, we're scurrying and we're frantic and we're, and we're busy trying to make the most of life and we end up missing so much of it because we're so caught up. Life goes by so fast, and if we're honest, it really is just a blip. It's here one second, gone the next. It's beautiful, it's fragile, at times complex, and yet many times, come on, somebody, uneventful. (laughs) And it's within that tension that many of us wonder what it's all about. Moreover, we want to know how to make the most of it. So in this series, we're going to discover what it means to live a life of fulfillment, purpose, passion. We will dive into what it looks like to live for something and someone bigger than our than ourselves. Next weekend within this series, we're going to do what we call our Vision Sunday. And you do not want to miss this series next week. Vision Sunday is going to be super important. And I'm going to tie it in. Don't worry. It's not just like a bunch of ABC lists that we're doing, but what it means to live with vision at the end of the day. And we're going to talk about that. And I've got some really important announcements that I'm going to be making next weekend. So you do not want to miss next weekend's service. We will be reminded of how to make the most of this life, how to make the most of our, our blip. And this was the encouragement and challenge of James, to realize that life in and of itself is momentary, it's swift, and it's passing. And to make the most of it and to utilize it to the glory of God, listen, should be our greatest quest. Not how do I amass more for me, how do I do more of this, how do I climb the corporate ladder, how do I build here, or enjoy more vacations, and those are all good things, but at the end of the day, to live a life of purpose, to live a life of passion, to live a life of perseverance is our greatest quest, to live a life that ultimately brings glory to the one who gave it to us. That is the greatest quest that we can engage upon. And that is what James offers us this morning. So in his questioning, I started to realize some things. So James asks some big questions. He says some big things. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. What he was dealing with was those of us and, and, and then as well who have a tendency to believe that, well, at the end of the day, it all doesn't matter. So I'm just going to, I'm going to move and I'm going to groove and I'm going to do life and I'm going to do everything that I possibly can in order to fill in the gaps. But at the end of the day, he then follows up with this question. You don't have control over that. At the end of the day, life, come on, how many of you know that uh, it can throw a curveball, right? So that's why it then says, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. So how can you, with arrogance, say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. He's saying we've got to understand some things. And we as humans, we're pretty arrogant sometimes, aren't we? Come on, we believe that we have more control than what we actually do, if, if we're honest. Come on, all the control freaks in the house said, amen, I'm there with you, I'll put them all in, right? We want to manage and we want to consolidate and we want to control and we want to hold and we want to have our A, B, and C and our one, two, three and our linear progression and then our coupons and we want everything that we have, right? We want to make sure it works for us. But he says, you don't know what tomorrow will bring, so what is your life? For you are a blip that appears 
for a little time and then vanishes. So I want to deal with this issue. And James in his questioning actually offers us three things that are required of us if we're going to make the most of our lives, if we're going to make the most of our blip. And that's what I want to deal with with the rest of our time this morning. So I need your help. I need everybody to shout number one. Number one, the first one is this, is we've got to learn to manage the complexity of life. We've got to learn to manage the complexity of life. So James says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a a profit. In his appeal to his readers, James seeks to tackle an issue that's still very much alive and well today. Life is full of things that can distract and sway and pull and push us away from a place of solidarity and consistency when it comes to the life and purpose that God has for us. We're distractible people, aren't we? I was standing in our house the other day, and Erica had asked me to do something, and I was kind of like just stuck there. She asked me to do it, and so she went away, and then she came back, and she's like, have you done the thing? And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm distractible, right? My son, who I actually thought was the most distractible person of our family, I've realized that at least on the mountain when he's skiing, this kid, he's on it. He loves it. I've, I've, I've got a beast on my hands. He is now just pizza all the way down the hill. He puts his head down. Dad, I don't need you. Thanks, son. And then he goes, right? <laughs> my daughter, on the other hand, we had her up um, a little while ago. And so I took her and she's on the hill. So Justice Bombs, he's gone. I don't even know where my son's at. Father of the year award. And so he's somewhere hanging out with, the, with who knows who at this point in time. And my daughter's going down the hill. So I'm behind her just kind of swaying back and forth watching her. And she's, she's pizza, pizza, fries, pizza, fries. I'm like... Go, baby, you're doing good. And she's pizzaing, but I start to realize something. She's getting dangerously close to other people on the mountain. And this is why she doesn't have her head forward. She's doing this. (laughs) So I yell at her, I'm like, babe, in some outfits, that's called a missile, (laughs) right? (laughs) So she's flying down, and I'm yelling at her. I'm like, Shiloh, keep your head straight. To which she turns around (laughs) and gives it. So we get to the bottom of the hill, and I'm like, baby, you got, you got to keep your head forward because you're going you're gonna to kill somebody. <laughs> you can't be distracted out here. She's like, well, I'm just, I don't want to go into the trees. I'm like, baby, you were nowhere near the trees. But Joe coming down the hill, <laughs> you were about to be his tree. Stop being distracted. The author of the Bible Exposition Commentary put it this way when he wrote concerning this issue. Think of all that is involved in life. Today, tomorrow, buying, selling, getting, gain, losing, going here, going there. Life is made up of people and places, activities and goals, days and years, and each of us make many crucial decisions day after day. If that isn't a recipe for anxiety, I don't know what is. What is it? It's complexity. And those are the things that distract us at the end of the day. What an assessment of life. No wonder so many of us are running around never truly satisfied, never truly engaged, always feeling rushed, and at the beck and call of the almighty hour hand. So to make the most of our lives, we have to learn to do it another way. We have to learn to manage the complexity of life in order to experience the greatest purpose that God has for us. And I believe that this issue of complexity and, and the management of it is one of the greatest reasons that so many of us tend to feel that our lives are purposeless. You ever, you ever been there before? 
right? Yeah, sure, we have our jobs, and we have our hobbies, and we have our families, and we, we have our friends, yet still in all of that, it's amazing at, at how many times I've sat down with somebody, and this phrase has come out, I have all of these things, yet I still, I, I still feel like there's no purpose to my life. It's because in having everything, for many of us, we still feel like we have nothing, And I think it's a purpose issue because deep down inside of us, there is this beck and this call, this Marco Polo from God that resides in our hearts that we know is attached to a purpose that is greater than what we are living in right now. And for many of us, we don't understand how to find it, how to grab a hold of it, how to get it. And one of the reasons that we're missing it is because life is full of complexity. So what is complexity? It's not just busyness. We've dealt with busyness around here. I think it's actually more than busyness. This is, this is my idea of complexity. This is what I've written down. Maybe this will help you out. Maybe it won't. But complexity is created by a couple things. One, unhealthy relational dynamics. These are the negative relationships or frustrating relationships that are in our lives. The discretionary ramifications of our choices. In other words, these are the choices that cause regret and shame. You ever made one of those? Yeah. And they make life complex. The obligatory nature of responsibility, right? Somebody once said, responsibility, what's that? It was a band. If you haven't heard them before, check them out. It's pretty cool. This is the things that we say yes to and don't actually have to say yes to. Come on, how many of us this year have said yes to some things that we look back and we go, I didn't need to say yes to that, (laughs) right? I should have said no. Come on, singles, maybe you know that that date you should have just said no to. (laughs) You're like, well, that was awkward. (laughs) Unhealthy relational dynamics, the discretionary ramifications of choices, the obligatory nature of responsibility, and the forceful fear of failure. Have you ever realized that the that fear of failure drives so much of what we do? I want to succeed. I want to do. I want to. Th- 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 why? Because many times we're just simply afraid of it. We're afraid of failing. We're afraid of stepping out into something that's different or new or God ordained because we're afraid to fail. This is what I call the complexity of life. This is the framework of complexity. So in order to manage complexity, we have to do a few things. It's actually just the opposite. The first thing we have to do is build healthy relationships. Come on, somebody. That's good news right there. 2018, could you just make a, make a promise to yourself? I'm going to build healthy relationships. Right? I'm going to build a healthy relationship. Second one is this. Make wise decisions. Yeah, I know. That escaped us a long time ago. Make wise decisions. Say yes to the right things. Instead of saying yes to everything, let's learn to say yes to the right things. And when we say yes to the right things, we actually find the complexity level goes down and we can see through the muck and the mire and we can see what it is that God's doing. And then the last one is this, rest in God's grace. Let's not be driven by fear. Let's not be driven by everything that pushes us outside of God's grace. Let's rest in the grace of God, knowing that he's for us and not against us. And when I rest in his grace, then I really can experience everything of him. Just rest in him. I don't want to, hey, I don't want to be driven by fear this year. Come on. Maybe I've got a few people in here this morning that'll partner with me in that. I don't want to be driven by fear. I don't want to be driven by all the things that can drive me sometimes. I just want to rest in in God's grace. So the first thing that we have to do is we've got to learn to manage the complexity. If we're going to make the most out of our blip, then we have to learn to manage the complexity of life. The second one is this. Come on, number shot number two. Number two. The second one is this, is we have to learn to move with the uncertainty of life. Come on, how many of you would agree, show hands, therapy session, life is uncertain. Come on. 
How many of you would agree with me on that? Life, life, anything can happen. For some of us, like, right, like shapes and colors people, we love that. We love getting up and be like, anything can happen. <laughs> Yay. But for the ABC123 people, you hate it. Right? If anything outside of your plan happens, it is a nuclear meltdown in your world. Like you, are a hot, like you are a hot mess. You are a pile of goo. And you look up and tears in your eyes. You're like, why did that have to happen? We can't handle it. But here's the promise that James offers us. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. Isn't that so Caleb? It's positive and encouraging. And I believe that this statement could possibly be one of the most hauntingly truthful statements found in Scripture. But it's not a new thought. That's the thing. James ripped it off. Proverbs 27 verse 1. Watch what it says. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. We have to learn to move with the uncertainty of life. Life is uncertain. And James is not dealing here with the end of life. We'll talk about that in in a moment. Here he's dealing with the ever-present truth of life. Anything can happen. And this assessment doesn't mean that God is not in control. And that's the thing I think we can get freaked out on sometimes. So we believe if we say, if we, if we like mentally ascend to this place, okay, anything can happen, that God must be outside of, of control. He's not con- controlling things. But here's the cool thing about it. I can actually rest in a place of certainty because God is in control in the most uncertain life that we're going to lead. He still is in control. When we learn to move with the uncertainty of life, when we learn how to dance with the uncertainty of life, it's because we've learned to allow God to be our control. And the uncertainty of life is not because God is distant and not involved, but rather because we live in a broken world that has rejected the orderly and loving nature of its creator. See, when the world, though, is in chaos, come on, somebody, we can still be still because we have learned to move with the uncertainty of life because Christ is in control. I'll never forget, my family lived in Hawaii when I was a young kid. My dad was in the Navy, and he used to take us down to the beach. And on this beach, he would go, we'd go visit these sandcastle builders, and they would, they would build these gigantic sandcastles. I mean, like castles that you could go into and, like, the turtles that you can climb on. I mean, it was, it was amazing. But I'll never forget, like, dream with me just for a moment, being on a beach in Hawaii. Uh, that shouldn't be hard right now, okay? <laughs> the inversion's here, so we can all do this. So that sand that you can step in, that leaves your footprint, you know that sand that comes up between your toes and you know that you are in now in heaven, right? That's the type of sand that my dad would walk on. And I remember playing a game with him. My dad would walk and he would leave these footprints and I'd play a game. He didn't even really know I was playing it. And this game was is I would try to step in every single one of his footprints. And I'd put myself here. And I was thinking about this the other day. As I would walk like this in my father's footprints, one thing that I never did is I never lifted my head up. And I never feared where I was going. Why? Because I found my ste- myself in every single step of my father's. And I knew my dad would never take me to where I didn't need to go. When everything else is uncertain in life, I step my feet into the steps that have gone before me. He said that he would not leave me. He would not forsake me. He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. When life is uncertain, I have Jesus. I have Jesus. 
I follow his footsteps. So I have to learn to move with the uncertainty of life. Some of us are dealing with the uncertainty of life right now in a way that we never thought we would deal with it. I want to implore you at the beginning of 2018, just put your feet in his steps. Know that he's going to keep you. He's leading you into good places. That doesn't mean that it's always going to feel the way that you want it to, but he's still leading you to the place that he has for you. So when life is uncertain, he is still certain. Job. I don't know how many of you have read the story of Job before. It sucks. <laughs> that's, just, that's the only way to put it. That's, like, that's about how theologically deep I get on that one. It sucks. It's the worst story ever. It is like, hey, what's a good thing to read? Job. Go read Job. Where do I start in the Bible? Job. No, don't do that. You'll jack somebody up. But Job knew this. He, he, under, he understood this uncertainty. He dealt with these issues. Job chapter 1. So to understand what Job's going to say in, in, in Job chapter 9, verses 25 through 26. We're going to read that in a second. Can we go on a biblical adventure really quick? Okay? Like, just follow me. Lots of Bible this morning. So to understand his statement, which we'll read in, in, verse, in chapter 9, verses 25 through 26, we have to know where Job was at. We have to know what life looked like for him. So let's read. Job chapter 1, 13 through 22. It says this. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and the sabins fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and he said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. How many of you would agree with me that is a bad day? It's a bad day. Like if you're ever dealing with anything, just read the, go back to Job and like put it into perspective. <laughs> but watch what Job's response is. Verse 20, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I love this, verse 22. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Why? Because he had a perspective. When life is uncertain, God is still in control. So he learned how to move with uncertainty. And it's with this backdrop that Job then offers us some insight and practical truth as we learn to move with the life of uncertainty. This is what he says in Job's, Job chapter 9, verses 25 through 26. He says, my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They go by like skiffs of reed, like an eagle swooping on pray. Now, when you read that, it kind of like, well, what are you talking about right now? Well, back in those times, during this culture and during this moment, they actually had these runners, kings and, and, and officers in the army, so on and so forth, would charge these runners with carrying a message. 
And they would bring that message to wherever they were being deployed. Said of these runners is that many times the belief was that these runners were more, had more stamina and greater strength than horses and camels to bring these messages. And this is what Job is saying about our lives. He's saying, listen, your life will go by like a runner. And it's uncertain. But here's the thing that we need to understand. Your life should carry a message with it. If your life carries a message, then when life is uncertain, I still know what my message should be. The message is the grace of God upon my life. That it's not in anything I do, it's everything that he's done. So I carry a message no matter what happens, good or bad. I carry and proclaim a message. He then goes on to say that this ship, that life goes by, like the skiffs of reed. He was talking about these shifts. They were made of these reed sticks and they would place some sort of uh, paper-like material that would keep the water out and they would actually go by pretty quick. They would, they would zoom by pretty fast and this is what he's saying. He says, not only does our life carry a message, but if our life goes by like this ship, we have to understand that it has a wake and there is something that our life is gonna leave behind. What is our legacy? See, when I know that life's uncertain, I can anchor myself in the fact that there's a message over my life Come on, and there is a legacy that I'm called to leave behind. There's something that I'm meant to do in this blip. And then he says that it's like the birds of the air or an eagle swooping on the prey. During this time in multitudes, there were these falcons, this specific falcon that would fly around gross in numbers. And what he's wanting us to understand and know is that this bird of prey is always looking for its next meal. My life, even in the uncertainty that it is, should be lived with hunger and passion. I think passion's missing from our generation. I really do. I think one of the greatest travesties of this generation that we are facing right now is the apathy that is caused by inactivity. And God desires a people. He desires you and I to burn white hot for him. And when we do that, we actually make a difference in the world. We actually make a difference in the world. I don't know, but I want to be passionate. I'll tell you what. I do what I do not because I'm like on Red Bull and caffeine all the time. Although there's a fine line. (laughs) I'm passionate. And people get passionate about all kinds of different things. It's amazing the things we get passionate about. But what would would life be like? In the midst of uncertainty, what what would it be like if we just, if we were passionate for Jesus in the midst of it all? I mean, we get passionate about our our crocheting. Right? Have you seen the people that are like, and if you are like uber passionate about your pets, I love you. I really do. It got quiet in church. They're like, oh, you're not about to talk about my dog. (laughs) But it's amazing how many people I meet that are like, man, I just, I don't know. Like this life is super frustrating. It feels like it's purposeless and there's no passion. And then like your dog, like you you will carry your dog to the supermarket. Like that's passion right there. (laughs) Right? You tell everybody about it and you're like a sweater. I love my dog. (laughs) or cat, whatever it is. What are you passionate about? Our life has a message, our, our life leaves awake, and our life is meant. And Job offers this in the context of understanding that even in the uncertainty of life, I can still live my blip to the fullest of his glory. And number three, the last one is this. Come on, every shot. Number three. We have to learn to measure the duration of life. And there it is. 
I know. I thought we were coming in on first service of 2018 to be encouraged, and here you are talking about death. Yes. Because <laughs> we need to talk about it. We need to think about it. And this is what I love about these third century believers that James was speaking to. For many of them, they don't have the same hang-up on death that we do. They don't have the same hang-up on the duration of our time that you and I do. See, for many of us, we actually don't ever, we live most of our life trying to escape the end of our life. Right? We do everything in our power to live life now so that we don't have to think about the end of it all, the duration of it. But James says, no, listen, you've got to measure the duration of your life. And in that measurement, with proper measurement, you can actually make the most of your life. Because I'm not going to be afraid of the end of things. Like Paul the Apostle said, oh, death, where is your sting? Because I know in Christ I have a greater future. I have a greater future, so I run towards the end of it. I want to exhaust myself. I want to get to my deathbed and say, I've poured it out for the sake of you, God. So I do everything I can to live life to the fullest, to the max. That doesn't mean that I have everything that I want or I get everything that I want. It just means that I empty myself. I pour myself out till he comes back or I go to him. It's going to be Jesus, always Jesus, forever Jesus. We got to learn to measure the duration of life. If we could get comfy with the end of it, man, what could we do with what we have? Now I'm not gonna fear. I'm not gonna fear that over there. I gotta make the most of this now. So Psalm 39 verses four through five kind of highlights this message. He says, "Oh Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths. I love that term. Hand breath was a was a measurement from the bottom of my palm to the tip of my middle finger. Hand breath. You have made my days a hand breath. Inches. It's a blip." My lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. And then he says this word, Selah. Pause and reflect on that. Modern day translations in the Greek, it says mic drop. (laughs) But then it goes on, it goes deeper. Psalm 90 verse 12. Says this, in numbering our days and understanding what is the duration, he says, teach us to number our days that we may have or get a heart of wisdom. In the measurement of our life, we should find the wisdom to live it to his glory. Don't be afraid of it. Understand what it is, gain wisdom, and let's live it out. Can I speak to the older generation in our church this morning? Come on. It's okay. You can be the, old, be the older generation. Come on. We need you guys. Don't settle back and don't be, well, this is just a young person thing now. It's not just a young person thing. We need your wisdom. We need your encouragement. We need your fathering and we need your mothering. Because there's a lot of us that are running around and we don't have dads. And we need you to be a strong voice in our life. We need you to come alongside of us and encourage us. But at the same time, youth, don't shrink back because you don't think that there's anything in you. We need you to run into the promised land kind of crazy. 
We need wisdom to temper energy and energy to keep this thing going. But as long as you still have breath in your lungs, you have a purpose on your life. We need you. I'm so tired. Man, I don't want to see this. I didn't say this in the first service, but I'll say it in this service. I am tired of seeing the bickering between generations in our churches. We are not called to be an older church or a younger church or all of these other type of things. We are called to be the church. And we all come together as this beautiful tapestry. And in unity, unity commands a blessing. And when God blesses it, no man can be against it. (laughs) Oh, man. No man can be against it. Come on, church. So if we measure rightly... We gain wisdom from that. Look at the picture. Then we can follow his steps. We can live this blip. Gone. Here in one minute. Gone the next. We can live it out. And we can make his name famous. So God on earth, as it is in heaven, your name be made great. 2018, what's it going to be for you? I know that's for me. My house, we're putting our heads down. We're following the footsteps. We live for Jesus. I'm going to dance with uncertainty. I'm going to number my days. I don't got much left ahead of me if you think about it. So I'm going to live it with passion, and vibrancy, and persistence, and love without wavering because the God of heaven and earth 